Radyak. You're listening to Adyak. Adyak is the official podcast of the AAF Greater Lehigh Valley Ad Club. Our mission is to inspire creativity and enhance the professional development of the advertising and marketing communities where we live and work. I'm your host, Bill Childs, and I'll talk with artists, designers, writers, directors, photographers, along with those who work in a creative capacity. Our aim here is to serve as a creative resource to help you stay informed, entertained, and above all, inspired. But first, I want to thank ASR Media. We appreciate your support and collaboration. Webster's Dictionary describes an artist as someone with the talent to create art, such as a painting, a sculpture, music, or photography, while using their conscious skill and creative imagination. So with that definition, I would say my next guest is what I would refer to as an artist's artist. Charles Stonewall is a highly gifted and talented Lehigh Valley-based artist and photographer who has spent his life looking for the light and capturing it in his stunning images. I met Charles for the first time at the Allentown Art Museum, where his work was being featured, and I felt inspired to have him as a guest here on Adyak after viewing one of his photos that I found deeply moving. We talk about that photo at length. During our initial conversation at the museum, I was also captivated by his willingness to share the stories behind many of his mesmerizing images. Charles Stonewall's journey began in Easton, PA, where his grandmother gifted him with his first camera, a Practica, and encouraged him to use it as a source for good. Stonewall's work has an evocative and ethereal quality to it. His approach when creating is to use his extensive experience to see his subjects in a new light and then work diligently to create both timeless and moving work. Charles and I also discovered rather serendipitously that we both studied with Myron Barnstone, a brilliant artist and art teacher who taught a classical approach to drawing and design here in the Lehigh Valley for over 40 years. Charles explains how great art lives in our ability to be open to new experiences and to infuse those experiences into our everyday lives and work. A chance encounter at an art museum led to the interview you are about to hear. May you find it inspiring, informative, and entertaining. Here is my Adyak with Charles Stonewall. Charles, how are you, man? Well, good afternoon to you. How are you, sir? I am great. Charles Stonewall on the Adyak podcast today. So, Charles, one of the things I, that I, I like to do here and I've been trying to do on, on Adyak is um, I really am fascinated by people who seem to kind of go to an extra level in their work. And you certainly fit that bill because I, I met you for the first time at the Allentown Art Museum Cocktails and Collecting this year. And I remember walking past your booth and immediately, immediately was struck by the power of the imagery and your photographs. And Thank you. I didn't talk with you right away. You had a bunch of people you were talking to, but um, I did eventually get around to talk to you and we had a, a great conversation and it just flowed so easily. And I thought, boy, I want to talk to this guy on the podcast. So here you are. You're here. Welcome to Adyak. Thank you for having me. Where did this love of photography begin? Certainly started during the teenage years, which I had no idea what I was doing camera-wise. But I have to admit that there was a great deal of shyness about me when I was much younger. And I think there might be a tinge of it even now. My thoughts were loud inside and nobody could hear it. And so I thought one way of overcoming that is actually picking up a camera. Not that I was good with it, but I specifically aimed it towards doing portraiture, which means I had to look at you. The first time I went to school to study photography, there was a turning point there. I could have gone the commercial route, which would have made buku bucks, which would have been great. But no, I went the other direction more to the humanities, which um, is more heartfelt for me. So and that helped sure. me become more proficient as being a portrait photographer. Um and then eventually uh, learning the ropes and getting a job at PPNL is when they did have a staff of photographers. Boy, I miss those days. <laughs> well, you told this great story to me that I, I, I remember to this day about um, <laughs> how I believe it was your grandmother who said, yeah. stay on the porch, stay on the porch. Or was, was that actually, your mom? It was actually mom who said that. Um, stay on the porch, right? And you did until you were old enough to come off the porch. And then you kind of went, hey, I like this. And then you went across the street and you're like, hey, I like this even more. And that kind of instilled this, this um, kind of this 
willingness to kind of want to travel, right? Want to explore new things. So talk, tell me, tell me that story because I, I want, it's, I want to hear it again. It's about discovering and discovery about yourself and discovery what your environment is like. And so if you were at the age of nine, you weren't really allowed or somewhere around there, you weren't allowed to go across the street. You know, mom was very strict, but going across the street, you get to see a different neighborhood. And then eventually, as you get a bit older, you learn how to drive. And I remember the first time I actually um, drove to the Poconos, it was like an autumn and it was gorgeous. And it was so gorgeous that I'm driving alone in my car and now seeing the Poconos in autumn for the first time, geez, I've never seen this before. This is, this is gorgeous. But I remember having a moment of thinking, well, maybe, maybe I should just go back and tell the others, which is a great metaphor because I think that's what a lot of artists do. We tend to yes. see things before the others do. You got, you got to see this painting. You got to see what I just saw. You got to see what this poetry is about. Wouldn't you say that that's also in photography? Because you're, you know, you almost have to kind of see the portrait before it's done. Uh, doing a portrait for someone because they've come to me to do it, I'm pretty much following what they're looking for. But I may also come up with a conceptual photograph, which is what I'm really more into interested in doing right now. Or so when I, you shoot your stuff for the theater, when you shoot theater, right? Don't you I have shoot, to kind of, you have to see the photo before it becomes a photo in yeah. a sense, right? Part of that process is actually just sitting there without a camera, sitting in doing rehearsals, sitting in doing the previews, and waiting for that moment for when there's a lift in the dance, for for instance. Um, it's like studying it before I even bring the camera out. So it's just it's just observing what's actually going on. So a lot of thought, a lot of thought goes into before you decide you're going to do whatever photo, whatever subject you're gonna you're gonna take, right? You, you, a lot of lot of introspection, a lot of thought goes into that. To, this, to a certain point. I mean, it, it varies. You know, I don't want to overthink something. And even if I'm coming up with an idea of um, con conceiving a photograph, it doesn't always turn out exactly the way I want. There's those happy moments that actually, you know, uh, emerge as well. So, um, but I'm not usually too far off. Here lately, when you talk about portraiture or working with um, other artists, I'm surprised what we get. Now, you grew up in Easton, right? That's right. Okay. So, so outside more specifically. Okay. And then how did you end up in Kansas City? It was a strong intuition to actually get up and leave. Um, there really was nothing here in the Lehigh Valley to hold me back um, and to free myself up, largely because I was unemployed that, at that time. And I kept saying, mm -hmm. can't tell me you can't get a job in one of these 50 states. At that time, PPNL had um, downsized and I removed our department. And I had all this wonderful knowledge. I mean, in, in video and also in photography, that's two careers, but I didn't have a degree to back it up. I could tell you mm -hmm. what I could do, but you apply for a job, they really want to see it on paper. So for me, um, moving to the Midwest, I didn't know a single soul. It's like reinventing yourself. And yep. at an old age, I'm proud to say I, I went back to school um, full-time um, and it was well worth it. It was well worth it. I kind of question why didn't I do this before? Because, but I didn't because I was gainfully employed. There was really no need to go back full time. But um, it was like reintroducing myself as a photographer to me. The work just changed. All the work I've been doing, pretty much on the in the Lehigh Valley, it was pretty much corporate, which is good. It was a good foundation for me. Sure. Yeah. yeah. Shifting to another part of the country, a different community. Um, I'm around different artists. Yeah, most, yeah, most, okay. Most, and mostly performing artists, dancers. I'm not a dancer per se, but it's like um, being introduced to storytelling that doesn't have quite a narrative to it, especially when you come to dance. Dance to me is almost like poetry. You sit there in the audience and you're watching it and you're trying to figure out what's really going on. And all you can really go by is the music, the body language, the lighting for sure. These elements begin to tell a story. So it's... Um, almost like an open narrative. But for some of us, right. it can really touch us and make you want to sit up straight and say, whoa. Great art does that, right? It does, it does, it does. Now, how, what was that like from going from, you know, Easton to the Midwest in Kansas City? Culture shock a little bit? I mean, was it an easy transition? Were you kind of like, what did I do? Or was it kind of like, Hey, you know what? I kind of like this mentality out here. I, I could, I could, I could live out here. I could work with it, what I have to do. I was excited about it. Um, there was a little bit of, more than a little bit. There was quite a bit of disappointment as well. 
So to answer your question, it was pretty much bittersweet. But overall, in hindsight, looking back, I think the biggest takeaway from moving to the Midwest, which is about almost 16 years being there and being introduced to a completely different culture than you have in the Lehigh Valley, was inspiration. Uh, people showed up. If you wanted to have a project, um, they showed up to help you, you know, fulfill the, the project you wanted to pursue, for that matter. But yeah. I think the biggest takeaway is actually getting an education. You know, especially at an older age, you take it, I take it more serious, um, being introduced to different cultures within the, the college setting. Um, yeah. yeah. There's, a, there's a tremendous amount of growth just by going back to school at an older age. Well, I ask a lot of artists this when I talk to them. Um, you know, did did you feel like like this career, you chose your career or your career kind of chose you? I think it's a, a combination of both, to be honest with you. I cannot imagine not ever taking pictures. I cannot imagine a world without art. I'm very much attracted to that, whether it be through cinema, for that matter, um, through theater, or just a healthy conversation through poetry, you know? Yeah, yeah. I like like the idea of inspiring people. I don't like making dark pictures, per se, but actually pictures that actually inspire you. Oftentimes, when you're going to see a photograph or a painting, you don't know fully what it's about because you're just... You're looking for clues. The artist isn't going to be there most of the time. So you're looking for clues within this painting or this image. What's this all about? And so if you have another person here you're talking with, maybe it's two or three people, you're all trying to decipher what you're looking at. And I think if the artist has done his job well enough, you begin to pick up the clues and you have this dialogue and you begin to decipher what you see in this painting or this image. So what what do you use to judge what goes into a successful photograph? What how how do you how do you approach that? What what do you when you look at a finished photograph that you've taken or a series of photos you've taken? How how do you judge whether or not that success it's successful or is that not for you to judge? Is that for the viewers to judge? Well, I think at first I st- I start off with a setting, a design. There's got to be a pattern. So I may possibly do something in-house or I may do something out on the street for that matter. And there's a, a pattern, there's a design. I mean, there's like outdoor theater was what I call it. And so when I see a formation, whether it's on the back porch or whatever it is for that matter, that could be the setting to begin to tell a story. So it's got to have a set of design behind it. And then you put the person in front of that design, that pattern, and that helps begin to convey the story. Yeah, I saw that. Uh very apparent in the photos that you had on display at, at cocktails and collecting, because especially that one that really just, I just, just pulled me in was the, the before and after in the same space of the kind of the rundown room with the chair and the shade. And then on the other side was that same room, I believe a year later. And it just, boy, did that resonate with me. And me too. Um, Let me try to explain what that was all about. Please. The first one, the, first one the, the portion that was actually in the, the blue image, was at a place in Easton on the corner of 6th and Northampton Street. It was called the Vernon Hotel, which was very, very dilapidated. And I have to admit at that same time that I wasn't exactly in the, the right frame of mind. I was depressed. I was unemployed. Not a pretty picture at all. Yet I'm still taking pictures. So I don't remember even asking for permission to go in this building which I said was very dilapidated. And it must've been late in the afternoon, maybe four o'clock or so. And the sun is just pouring through the window. And this shade is torn and ripped, but the sunlight just poured right through it and it scraped across the wall. To be honest with you, I really didn't have that image printed. I took the picture. I had it developed. This is in the days of film. Mm-hmm. I never got around to um, having it printed, period. I move off to the Midwest. I'm introduced to a completely different culture. Um, And my life seems to be transformed or beginning for that transformation at that point. I find myself back here on the East Coast, specifically the Lehigh Valley. Don't know what that's all about, but you talk about your life going in full circle. And now I find myself on the corner of 6th and Northampton Street, but it's called the True Rivers Brewery. And I happened to be in a meeting at the time with a, with a really good friend of mine, Danny Moyer. 
And just before the meeting got, got underway, I was watching the sun pour in, and it still didn't dawn on me. This is like the same place you took the other photograph. And as the sun just poured in, I, I, I couldn't help but take the picture. And I still didn't quite get the connection until I bumped these pictures together as dyads. You talk about life transformation. So in other words, I didn't plan this. Right. And I started thinking from that when I matched those two pictures up. There's a lot of things that I think I or we intend to do. But what about those serendipitous things that happen? And I started thinking, well, how, many, how often does this happen? Is there other patterns with the pictures I've taken that I haven't quite noticed how they actually connect? It goes back to who are you? Who are we as spiritual beings for that matter? And what is it that ethereal thing you can't quite touch that makes these things come together, which I'm happy about, but it's, how does that work? That's the experience I had looking at that photo. I saw myself in that photo. Mm, how so? I saw myself in that photo because I, I have come through a period recently of my marriage ending, my 30-year mm. marriage ending. I was also laid off for, for a period of seven months. This is, this is about four years ago now. So I'm through all that. But that's what that photo spoke to me when I looked at it. I, I felt like I, I, that's me. That's a before and an after of me. Or there's, that's me now on, where, where, where the, the shade is fixed and the, the room is still nice. But even when I was on the damage side, the light was still there. It's, but I just didn't look real good to the world. I hear you. I hear you. Do you know what I mean? And I and I and, and I it's just, about transformation too. It's about growth, which right. which I think right. is a great great metaphor. Whether we see our own growth or not, um, mm -hmm. you know the interesting thing about having a circle of friends around you—they act as mirrors. They tell you things that they pick up. Not that they know everything, but they they see things that we don't always see ourselves. Even though I think we hold most of the clues about ourselves. But the combination of what your friends that you trust and what you know about yourself or a situation begins to form a more fuller picture, a more complete picture, if you will. Yeah, so. but you can't have one without the other, right? They no, both exactly. Work together. And I, I will submit, and we could talk about this, but I will submit that um, that wasn't a coincidence that that happened like that. I feel like that photo waited, that building waited for you to come back to show it in a better light or, or show it as it like, look, I'm, I'm better now. Take my picture. Yeah. Right. I feel like that. I feel like that is, was, was running through that photo as well. I mean, I just, I listen, I think that photo is why we're here talking today. I, I really believe that. I believe that that photo, I mean, and I saw, I, I saw all your photos and they're all amazing, but that one really, boy, that touched me. That really got me because I saw myself in it. Mm. And I just thought, and it's so, it's so interesting because it was an empty room, but it, I was there. I was in that, I was that empty room. I get it. That's, that's great art, man. That's when like art can really move you, you know, and, and, and you have a, a visceral experience with it and it, and it sticks. It's like when you see, to your point earlier, you know, wonderful dance, or you hear a beautiful string of words and poetry it goes in there and it sticks onto you. It, do, it doesn't leave you. It, even though it, it happens and then it's gone, it stays with you. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Wow. Talk about spiritual beings there. <laughs> right? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, for sure. So, so you're, my, correct me if I'm wrong here, but I believe you told me your grandmother gave you your first camera. That is true. Uh, most of Tell me about your grandmother. Most of us still remember Hess Brothers, right? On the on oh, the yeah. fifth, on the fifth floor. Oh, there's a here's a good story. On the fifth floor, <laughs> um, I don't know, was I 16, 17 years old? She purchased a, a German camera for me. It was a Pratika camera. It was ninety-five dollars, which was a lot of money back then. Ninety-five bucks. Oh yeah. And that time my grandmother was taller than me, and she says, and you know, we're expecting you to do well with this. I didn't know what I was doing with this camera. The pictures weren't even coming out. I thought, this is like wasted money. It took, I think, years or at least a, a long period of time for me to really begin to understand the mechanics of how the camera was working, even though I was trying to use it to overcome shyness, which did work, which did work. Um, and now I was just learning the mechanics of how it works and really understanding how that um, well, how, well, how it works. Yeah, okay. 
Now, what's interesting about that, and you talk about another one of those serendipitous things, uh, Hess Brothers was on the corner of 9th and Hamilton Street. Yeah. All right. So I don't know, what am I, 16, 17 years old, something like that. And then I eventually go off to Philly, take my first classes in photography. That's the bat phone. <laughs> take my first classes <laughs> in photography. And I come back down in town and I get a job at PPNL as a staff photographer. PPNL is on the corner of 9th and Hamilton Street. I got the camera across the street. Once again, one of those little serendipitous things. How the heck does that happen? Every once in a while, you'll notice something like that, or you could easily overlook it. But to me, it's like, huh. Do you remember what I brought to Cocktails and Collecting when I said, hang on, I have to show you something after we yes, started talking yes, for yes. a while? I had a blueprint with me of the PPL building. Yes, yes. Yeah, it, and it was gorgeous. <laughs> right? <laughs> what? Yeah, I, I had it with me because I. what had happened was there was, um, I believe that uh, the president of, the current president of PPL bought one of Kelly Forte's paintings. Okay. And I was going to give him this blueprint as a gift to just say, hey, you're the current president. I think you would like, I mean, it was a big, it's a big, print it would cost to cost a lot of money to get to get framed and um i have a ken rainier uh, pen and ink drawing that was done uh, of the ppl building in my home already so i just i brought it because i thought if this person guy shows up i'm going to give it to him and instead i right next to to kelly forte's booth is charles stonewall who shot photos for ppl and when you first showed me the blueprint on that I didn't want to interrupt you at the time, but I was almost uh, eager to say something to you. And that as an industrial photographer with PPI, we went into a lot of power plants. Mm. And specifically in Burke, Pennsylvania, they have a nuclear power plant. So they started building that in the late 70s, throughout the 80s. They have a cooling tower there that's 540 feet high. Now imagine, it's hard to imagine 540 feet. But if the tower building was inside that cooling tower, you wouldn't even see it. And the PPNL building is 22 stories high. That's right. You know. Wow. So um, the years of PPNL were good. Um, I look at okay. that as a wonderful training ground, overcoming fears again, going in coal mines. Who wants to go in a coal mine? You can't even stand up straight, you know? And all you and you can't use the flash. You're five stories underground. You got a helmet with a light on here, and your and your task is to come back with a photograph of what's happening underneath this um, in the in the coals. There's, there's the, the yeah. dippers, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, and you can't use flash because it's highly flammable. So I have to ask a coworker for her or him to look there as well. Move your lights so that we wow. get this exposure. The interesting thing about it, and I didn't realize it at the time, it was training me for theater shooting under low lighting conditions. Once again. I'm not making this stuff up. Um, theater, <laughs> theater, theater was not in my my radar at all. But I right. got to be so good at photographing under, underneath low lighting conditions. By the time the opportunity came for being involved in theater, it was a piece of cake. Because it's criminal to use a flash during a performance. Someone spent a great deal of time lighting that stage for that performance. And somebody's going to come around with a flash? No. What were the photos uh, that you were shooting for PPL? What were they being used for? Like corporate, uh, corporate, uh, you know, reports, annual reports, things like that. It was a whole myriad of things. They were documenting not just construction sites. Mm -hmm. I mentioned, um, you know, the the nuclear power plant in, in Burwick, but we yeah. also go to Martin's Creek, which is coal hydro plants. This is a great educational for me. Um, okay. And whether they're getting new vehicles. Unfortunately, if there was a tragedy or an accident, I had to document that as well. Mm. Um, that was kind of horrific. So especially if something should happen to a lineman. And of mm. course, then you have your typical portraits if someone got a promotion as a, as, a, as a VP for that matter. All of this was a wonderful training ground for me. I don't think any school could have um, given those kind of assignments out because these assignments were for real. I think art, photography and art are so precious to me and I hope that it is for others as well, that I'll use myself as an example. When I got hired at PPNL, they asked me a very peculiar question about, um, was I afraid of heights? Mm -mm. Not me. 
Why would they ask that? Only to find out everybody else that they hired was afraid of heights. Therefore, you're it. Okay, what does this mean? <laughs> I don't like going on roller coasters or Ferris wheels. That's not me. I'm more of a ground person. What it meant was getting inside planes and photographing buildings were down there. And you had to come mm. back with these images. This is all film now, so you have to know what you're doing. But, oh, I also, yeah. but I also have to trust the pilot. No funny business. Once again, it's almost like theater because it's like co- co- um, calib- collaborating with mm-hmm. someone who has a different skill that you have so that you can fill the task. And that's little by little, the fear of heights began to um, erode from me. Wow. I'm not saying it's completely gone, but this is another aspect of how um, the arts can help. I well, I'm always, anyway. I'm always, a, I'm a big believer of um, dots connecting. Yeah. You know, like, yeah. like a, you might be working on a dot and you have no idea how that dot is going to connect, but 15 years, 20 years down the road, all of a sudden it comes roaring back. Just how you were describing about, you know, shooting in the coal mine. And, you know, the, the limited light, and it was preparing you for, for your, your, your theater, uh, taking pics in the theater. I mean, it, and, it's and you amazing. You don't have a clue where it's going. I didn't have no. a clue where it's going. No. Mm-mm. I have a big question for you. What's Good. your philosophy on life? What's your life philosophy? I think the word perseverance jumps out. No matter what seems to be coming down a pat- pike, I have a tendency of always bouncing back. Um, Where'd that come from? Where does that come from? I, I can't fail. I can't fail. I, there's, a, there's too much at stake here. I've got too much invested in me to um, have a shortcoming, okay. something like that. Um, life is a puzzle, as we know. It's, it's, it's very complicated. It's also joyful. But my tools, my tools are the arts. My tools are largely collaborating with other people who have skills different than me. And I think in the end, we really attempt to um, achieve something that's inspirational, uplifting, without candy coating it whatever that subject may be. You have a lot of photos that do that as well, that don't candy coat that are, you know, so let's talk about, let's talk about some of that work. Um, in fact, you just, um, you, some of your photos were just printed in a, in a book, in a recent in book, in a book, right? Can you talk about that a little bit? And I just got a chance to see um, a proof of that book just the other night. And uh, I'm, I'm very happy with that. I think it's now accessible for, um, anyone to purchase through Amazon. It is called um, Shifting Times, African-American Artists from 2020 to 2021, which is the height of COVID and COVID still is not gone, but it wasn't just COVID, but what else was going on through 2020? Um, you had a lot of um, police brutality going on and that is mm-hmm. enough to fuel any of us who are um, creative enough to begin to draw or write or paint about it. So, I'm going to include it with 70 other artists. So I feel very happy about that. One more thing about that. I don't know why this keeps going on about um, these connecting the dots. But, you know, I I was lucky enough to have these photographs submitted and they're they're gorgeously printed within the book. But what amazes me is that one of the photographs is actually on page 187. What the heck? No, 187 means homicide. Mm Mm-hmm. I don't know if you and I talked about that before or not. Yeah, I did know that, too, because there was a movie with Samuel Jackson. Yeah. And yeah. I think, like, okay, we're smart, but I'm not that smart to be able to plan it out for it. In fact, <laughs> it was out of my hands. It was given to someone else. But one of the pictures actually implies about homicide, even though it's, it's, it's a very peaceful picture. It's, it's what's happening outside the frame that you can't quite see coming into the image, you know. Yeah. So, um, yeah, that book is now available, and you can get it through Amazon. That's awesome. Yeah, we'll show some. We'll show some of those photos uh, here. Okay, uh, as we're talking. Yeah, when we when we yeah, so so people will be able to get to see them. Um, so what are you uh, what are you currently doing now? What are you working on? I may see something out that's that's happening. Um, I was doing something that started about a year ago, and, and that project is not quite finished yet. It's kind of horrific. I'm sitting there watching the six o'clock news. And there's a group of um, young teenagers, Asian teenagers in Philadelphia on their way home uh, from school. And in that confined area, by being on a subway heading back home, there was a, another kid there, actually a much larger kid who started bullying these kids. And it was all captured on video. 
very disturbing to watch. Um, and it annoyed me. Obviously, I'm not Asian, but it really, really upset me quite a bit. And I kept thinking about it, like, what is it you can do about this? And it took me a while to figure it out. Um, but eventually, um, I made that a particular theme, not to duplicate what had happened, but to try to show the opposite of that. Can you imagine anybody being under ridicule or being abused or, or beaten or, or just put down? They feel pretty much alone. And if I have these mm -hmm. gifts as, as an artist, what is it that I can do to help? So that question always is out there. So I came up with a series of pictures through collaboration um, that I think are more calming. One of the pictures um, is of this young lady. She's just holding a camera as if it's peace, but she's actually meditating. And just at the edge of the photographs are two different individuals. We don't even see their full faces, but they're there in solidarity to help support you. And I think that needs to be seen, especially in um, Mm -hmm. of what we just saw that was so horrific. We need to be reminded, all of us need to be reminded that that, that there's someone there, there's, there's people there to support you, to help you. I'm really big on that, no matter what the subject is. But I right. think the idea of solace and solidarity are huge is what I'm beginning to find in my core what, DNA. Yeah, yeah. And the subjects just keep changing, whether it be dealing with what I just described with or sometimes gun violence. I think collectively, while the pictures seem separate, I think they're all connected in some kind of way. It's almost like, like a quilt. You know, there's like a theme running through these photographs, uh, like an open narrative. Yeah. Uh, especially, yeah. Especially, especially if you saw the whole body of work, which even I'm trying to figure out as well. So it's not mm -hmm. like I have the answers, but I just find that having an intention to photograph something or being attracted to something, this is what seems to emerge out of this. And wow. it's done, and it's done largely um, by me collaborating with with dancers, and they're not dancing. Dancers sit mm. different than, than I do, than than most of us do. Um, they're just sort of unique, and that body language helps portray um, a story through imagery. What's What's a piece of advice uh, you got uh, growing up or recently that that has resonated with you? What What uh, do you have anything that like that? Or just a, a piece of advice that that has stuck with you? Most of the time, when we're younger, we don't really paying attention. There are people that come into our lives and they act as a signpost. All we have to do is pay attention because they're really trying to. They see something in us that we haven't quite seen yet, and they're trying to encourage us to to do better, to, to, um, to partake more into what they see about us. Myron Barnstone comes to mind right now. I'm not sure if you're familiar with that name or not. I um, studied with him. Ah, there you go. Um, yes, I know him very well. I call him my captain. Yes, oh. yes. I only wish I was paying more attention. He had my attention. Uh, we were great friends, um, but I wasn't fully engaged as I should have mm. been. He says, anybody can draw. I kept saying, I can't draw. Well, okay, I do some sketches. Maybe the sketches are a little bit beyond the stick man. But the point is, um, he, he usually, when I give a talk, I have to mention his name because I think it played a major part in how I take pictures. I kid you not when I say this. No, but, I understand 100%. Yeah, it, it's, and, and, and plus, you know, part of my reluctance, I think, to um, go into the fold with him was the idea of, hey, I'm, I take pictures. Why do I have to learn how to draw? <laughs> but after taking his class, <laughs> the, 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 mm -hmm. pictures, the pictures changed, like, dramatically. Again, it was, it was slow for me to come around for that. Yeah. I, I was surprised. I thought, okay, grow up, kiddo, you know, and pay attention here. Um, I'm not sure if you had the photograph of the accident. That's the car that's turned upside down. If not, I'll have to send you that black and white If not, you got to send it to me. Yeah. yeah. That picture marks the turning point of how I actually make pictures. And it's through Myron Barnstone, through that specific. Wow. Wow. It falls right into the golden section, right off the bat. And I remember what it was all about. Basically, I had an assignment in Lancaster, and, and we were heading back from Lancaster to Allentown. And... Um, you know, when you see an accident, you usually see it in front of you, but I'm seeing it in a rear view mirror. I'm driving this van and I see it. It's, 
that car really rolling over in the field there? Because wow. you don't see it directly. Hmm. So I took the camera, got 36 exposures. Um, my coworker, who was a writer, went back with the first aid kit. We ran back to them. And there are four people in this photograph. There are two men and two women. And this guy has his hand over his face like this, like, oh, my God, what did I do? But it turns out that it was a husband and wife arguing. And things mm -hmm. got out of control, and then he started, they went off the road. But the irony is there was a doctor on the opposite side of the highway, comes around with a U-turn and shows up. He's the fourth person in the photograph. When's the last time that a doctor shows up at the scene of an accident? And it's all in one shot. And it's the photo that changes kind of everything. It does. It does. For you. For you. Yeah. Um, wow. This, this is also combined with, I come from a portraiture background, but my coworkers come from the morning call. They had a photojournalist back, photojournalist background, and I didn't. Of course, you want to be, you know, up the par with your peers. And that was also being more and more into the photojournalism realm as well. So, yeah, that was that's a... That's a turning point. I can't believe I did not know that uh, about Myron Barnstone. Um, I can tell you what Myron did for me was he taught me he taught me how to see, taught yeah. me how to see what I'm looking at, see the world, see the way art. You know, we did a lot of drawing in that drawing one class of bottles. We did a wine bottle, we did a Perrier bottle, and a an Amstel light bottle. But those three bottles, went, as you evolve through the class. You could turn those into a cathedral, the way you the way those bottles would be organized and drawn, and I, and I'll tell you a funny my connection with Myron is I I was taking his classes, and um, I said Myron I said did uh, one night after class I said, uh, this is like amazing this your legacy what what are you how are you capturing this, he's like well I have a series of VHS tapes I'm like. And this is when DVDs are starting and CDs and right. I said, Myron, we got to get this on DVD. Yeah. We, we got to do this. Right. We, we, and, and he, he, he listened and he said, you know, I, I think you're right, Bill. Cause I think he was feeling his age a little bit. He was getting up there in age. And he said, how do we do it? And I said, I, I was working at an ad agency, ad agency at the time. And I said, I'm working with a production uh, manager. His name's John Mulder at the agency that I'm at, I'm going to get with him. We're going to figure this out. And we did it. We, we, we did it. We captured. So you can now go and purchase the drawing one series. You can purchase his color uh, theory, uh, his figure drawing. It's all on DVD. It's all shot beautifully, wireless mic, all of it. And, and then what had happened was um, he retired he retired shortly after the, the the DVD series was completed, and it it's selling all over the world. Wow! What people are learning. People what are learning about. Yeah, he was a he was the closest thing I, I came to meeting a Renaissance man. Yeah, just he was he was just such a. I, I miss him so much. I really do. I, I got to know his daughter, Cat. Uh, She's kind of um, working with his his leg or his uh, foundation now. She created a foundation, his art, which was created up for thirty years that no one had seen. His artwork is out of this world, but that's funny I, that we have that connection as well. And you, you mentioned the morning call. I wasn't in editorial, but I worked at the morning call for seventeen years on the sure. advertising side. Yeah, yeah. So, 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 did you do you know uh, Ken Clauser? Yes. Mm -hmm. Okay. So Ken used to be my supervisor and he, remember I'm working in a corporate yeah. environment. So it's interesting when you bring another element in, uh, we'll say Ken in this case, who comes from a photojournalistic background, specific mm -hmm. morning call, he's the new supervisor. And that means the culture at, and corporate communications in the department I worked in begins to shift because there's this new influence coming in right now. All right. Mm. And part of it is photojournalism. It's not just documenting things, but it's actually capturing things for the matter. Right, right. Well to really become proficient in that. But with that, again, the pictures just changed dramatically. Um, and he also mentioned that Myron had taught many of the photographers the drawing classes. So that yes. man, Ken tells me about Myron. That was the introduction, by the way. And um, yeah, 
I think I met Myron when he was actually on Hamilton Street. And then I think he eventually... Oh, okay. That's that's a yeah. I I met him there when I was in high school. I was taken there by my teacher to meet him when I was 17. And um he was a little intimidating. He scared me, I'm not gonna lie. He was very intimidating. Yeah. I did not study with him until 17 years later. Wow. When I was 35. Okay. Yep. Okay. And when he was in, he was up in Copley. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Myron's, Myron's um, influence runs very deep. He taught a lot of people. For a sure. A lot of people. For sure. Yeah. And that, yeah. That is so cool. Wow. I can't wait to see that photo. I want to definitely see that photo <laughs> now. <laughs> so what, uh, you know, what, what kind of advice would you give to, to photographers that, or people that maybe want to get into photography now? What, how, how are you, how do you feel about that? What would you what would you tell them? I think all all the arts are right next door to each other. And to me, it starts with drawing. Okay. It starts with seeing. So if you not that you have to be great at it, but if you could just begin to be open to to drawing, drawing yes. leads to illustration. Illustration leads to paintings. Paintings could lead to photography and lighting. Lighting is key because you're setting a tone, there's a mood. If you go into a restaurant for the first time, Within a split second, you're going to feel, what does this feel like? Because mm -hmm. it's how it's lit, the furniture, the ambience. Even if you're visiting somebody for the first time into their home, it's all about the lighting. It's, it's, it's a feeling right there. The point is, as these arts are right next to each other, especially cinema, cinema brings in all the arts. It brings in music, mm -hmm. uh, acting. All the arts are right next door to each other. It's a, it's a wonder that even if, if there's a movie that comes out that's horrible, not that you want to see a horrible picture, but can you imagine what it took just to make that movie? That's pretty complex. And if it's a great movie, damn, wow. Mm -hmm. You know? Sure. Not an easy task. So I love lighting. I love lighting in films. I mean, it's, yeah. Yeah. So it's hard point, to do well. The point I'm trying to say to you is I think you should start from the beginning and try to at least begin to understand what drawing's about. And you can stop off at any point, even if you get to the point of photography, maybe you're good with lighting and maybe not so good at composition. You know, it's, it's amazing that uh, not all of us have all the skills to, to really execute a photograph for that matter, you know, or a movie mm -hmm. or do music for that matter. Maybe there's a portion of it that we can do. Maybe we're just a good sound designer, you know. Myron used to say, you're not so much here to learn as you are to unlearn. Mm. you have to unlearn all these bad habits and he mm. would always what you just said you know you you need to stay with it you need to give yourself um a little bit of leeway when it comes to some of these drawings because my first drawings like of the the gesture drawings which i love to do now i love gesture drawings they were horrific the first night of the first class nine weeks later i could have sold them like that's how elegant in nine weeks of what he did with me. And it just took a lot of practice. I spent weekends in my, in my room at home, just with that Conti pencil and, and doing those gesture drawings and then the third dimension. And it's, it's just that creating that muscle memory to kind of create that. And yeah. practice, yeah. practice. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But sure. I mean, the photography field now is right. It's a lot different than it was when you started. It is, but I mean, you can pick up your phone around and take some pictures, but that doesn't mean you know how it works, you know? That's right. That's what I was, yeah. It, it's. Because everybody's a photographer now. We all have iPhones, right? Isn't yeah. That the, isn't it? <laughs> well, I'll tell you what, here's, here's what I do with my phone now. I do use it as a sketch before I take the real photograph. So I might scope out a location and I will mm -hmm. use that as if I was sketching. That I have done numerous times and then go back with a set of lightings or, or whoever I'm going to be photographing. And mm -hmm. at least I've got that frame lined up. And even then I'm still tweaking it a little bit, you know, that's mm -hmm. how I use my phone. Now, everybody else can do whatever they want to do, but I don't think they, obviously they do not understand how this is actually working for that matter. How I'm much not, do you, how much do you uh, manipulate a photo in post? Do you, or are you kind of like a purist? Are you like what's on that in that frame? That's it. I'll remove a pimple, but I'm not going to remove a car. <laughs> Put it that way. So, <laughs> okay. I, I hadn't really thought of it that way before about how the arts are all right next to each other. 
you know, they're all related. That's right. I, I never really heard it explained that way. I and, and, like there's that. A, and there's a jumping point at any step along the way for that matter, you know? So, um, yeah. And Myron was good at teaching people the basics. Like you need to learn the basics before you, or he would say, learn the rules so you know how to break them properly. Right. But we're going to learn the rules first. We're not just going to go to breaking them before you learn them. So to your point about, you know, yeah, we can take a photo and, you know, but like you really have to know how that photo is being created. And most people taking them on an iPhone really don't. They just know they push the button, they put it on Instagram and everybody, you know, add a filter to it and you're good to go. How sad is that? But it's really so much more. I know it's, it is sad. We're taking more photos now than ever, probably in the history of forever. And they're all living on the phones. No one's even really printing them or doing anything with them. Yeah. Yeah. I've got numerous prints for sure, um, which I'm very proud of, of course. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting when I do show them um, in some cases, it's like, geez, do you really have a print? Well, yeah, that's, that's how I was taught. Call me old school if you want. But yeah, I like the feel of it. I like the look mm-hmm. of it the depth of it. Um, these are inkjet prints for the most part right now, or right. in some cases I'm actually shooting on film and then scanning the negative at a high res to, um, to get that decent print. Yeah. Yeah. Where would uh, people go if they wanted to look at some of your work beside beyond the work that we're going to show here on the podcast? What, uh, did, where would someone go see your work? Charles F. Stonewall photographer. There are numerous images out on uh, Instagram right now for that right matter. The website is actually in progress. Okay. Uh, so stand by. But in the meantime, you can get a little sneak peek from there. So you have, what's your Instagram handle? What is it? It is Charles F. Stonewall photographer. I asked you that question way back. I said, tell me about your grandmother. And then we kind of went off on another thing. So, so tell, me, get, tell me about her. I mean, she gave you your first camera. Oh, this is the matriarch of the family. Um, okay. You know, God bless her. She's, um, I wish she was still with us, of course, you know. Mm-hmm. But, um, so she was a caterer. She was an activist. She wasn't able to own her home because of um, redlining. But she also had some connections with some professors that allowed her to have, to allow her to have the home that she did have, which was on Monocacy Street. In that era of uh, not being allowed to go to the swimming pools because you're black, um, she would, you know, create um, marches for something like that. Mm-hmm. There's, a, there's a whole horrific past with that, but this woman was a very, very strong woman. Um, as I said, she was the matriarch. She believed in me. She believed in the family members and um, made that investment in me by purchasing that camera at Hess's. Um the interesting thing is, if you were to ask, when did the photographs really begin to mature? I think they were coming in different angles, so to speak. But they actually became a bona fide photograph, ironically, through her. I was mm. trying to really make some good portraits, but they really weren't great. But ironically, when it did happen, the bona fide portrait actually happened to be of her. So I started doing a series of portraits of her because, well, she was my muse. You know, they were black yeah. photographs. You could feel the texture of the skin. Um, and we just sit and talk. And I would just capture these pictures very quietly. And um, they're still, they're timeless. Many of them were photographed yeah. in the 70s. Um, and here it is, 2022, getting ready to be 2023. They're timeless. Because there's nothing about the picture that dates it, so to speak. But it's that mm-hmm. of the skin. And this elegance that she brought as well. This is a very brilliant woman. But unfortunately, during her time, um, those opportunities weren't readily available as they are for many of us today. I also loved another another photo that you showed me. It was two separate shots, I, I think. It was State Theater was in the background. But the way the photos came together, they formed like a seamless. And the, yeah, that, that's right. I, I, and then it was down an alley in Easton. Beautiful, beautiful lighting. It just looked like a, a soft blanket of light. Yeah, what ties it together, again, these are two pictures that were shot separately, like mm-hmm. months, months apart. Um, 
what ties them together is actually the lighting itself. Both of them happen to be early in the morning and the sunlight, just as it's coming up, scraped across these brick buildings. And they're both in Easton, which is my one of my favorite towns, you know, of course, because I'm born and raised there. Mm-hmm. Um, even looking at the State Theater has its own memories with me. The movies that used to play there, which they don't play movies there anymore. It's, it's strictly theater right now. Right, right. Um, you could spend a whole afternoon just going to the State Theater, watching a double feature, or or seeing. Um, I saw Doctor Strangelove there. I saw Spartacus <laughs> there. I saw a lot of the James Bond movies there. Bullet, you know, a lot of the classic. Steve movies. McQueen. Steve right. McQueen. Yeah, um, yeah. Then <laughs> after seeing Bullet, you want to go out and get a turtleneck <laughs> and uh, and a Mustang. Right? Yeah, but I only had was a 63 Ford Falcon, and I thought I was McQueen, but anyway. But Easton does have hills. <laughs> right. You could you could you could duplicate some of those scenes. Yeah. San Francisco, right? Sure. But just remember we're in Easton now. <laughs> I know, yeah. I wouldn't I wouldn't recommend or no, 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 type no. of driving. <laughs> but the point is looking at the state theater is, it brings a lot of um historical memories for me. Mostly mostly movies, you know. I just love, I just love your eye. You you have a tremendous eye, and you your your craft, and what you bring to the craft of photography, is to me is just it's it's inspiring. I think. Well, thank you, thank you. I appreciate that. I think it comes from being eclectic, and I'm proud to say that. I say eclectic in the way of. I love movies. Um, I like particularly film noir movies. Um, my habits have changed over the years. I don't go to the movies as often as used to, but that's the root of it. Looking at the lighting and the storytelling for that matter. There was a time when a lot of um, independent films didn't really show up here. You'd read about it in the New York Times and get excited Mm. about the article. So I know that film's not going to come here, so I'll just go to New York to see it. And I did this for years on end, being influenced by not just independent films, but foreign films, and all those imagery begins to shape you. Eventually, I started looking at commercial films, too, but I really was rooted Mm -hmm. in the old black and white film noir movies. Right, right. So that has an influence on how I take pictures. So does drawing, as we spoke about before. Mm -hmm. Um, So does theater. And when you take this and you take that and you begin to form something that, I didn't thought about it this way before but you're it's i don't like just being stuck at one thing you know i i'm like i said i'm very eclectic yeah and i fresh i just um for me is you know growing up and 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 knowing that this was gonna art was gonna be in my life in some form you know i didn't know you know how that would how it would all play out but um yeah, I, I love the I love the how artists look at the world and see the world differently, you know, and, and you certainly do that in a very big way with your with your photographs. Um, still, still, to, you know, as I said, still think about that photo of the, that room. I just I'm going to have to like like buy a print of that or something from you because I need that in my house because that, that it just resonated so much with me. It just, I just saw myself in those two rooms mm. and it was just, it was just like, yeah. And I, <laughs> I, I can't explain it any more than that. Other than it was just magic. It was magical. God bless you. Yeah. Let, yeah. Me, just, let me say this as well. Um, I can't, yeah. call, I can't call myself a sound designer, but part of obs- observing situations, there is a period of time. And even so now that I gravitate towards a lot of, social nonprofit organizations, because I see them as the pillar of our community. Um, And the interesting thing about these nonprofits, they don't have any money, even though I come from the corporate Mm -hmm. world, so to speak. And I say this because when I got to be introduced to a number of these organizations, and one in particular was called Accessible Arts, which was based in Kansas. This introduced me to a group of young kids who were blind. And it ranged from them being totally blind to maybe just seeing the outlines of figures, you know. So they're mm-hmm. hearing very astute. And we made a historical for them. This is like um, almost like a summer program. 
And what we did is we took them on the Lewis and Clark Trail. So these kids who are 14, 15, 16, 17 years old is eventually going to become adults and got to, you know, fend for themselves, mm-hmm. so to speak. So we did a lot of camping out, pitching tents, things like that. The point I'm trying to make is we took them to the movies. And why would you take kids, blind kids to the movies? And what they had is that they had a counselor, student, counselor, student. It was about five rows of that. Okay. And the counselors were whispering into the ears of the students of what was on the screen. Now, it's one thing if you whisper, but if there was a sea of whispers, if there's like 10 instructors whispering at the same time, and I'm in the Mm. back of the theater, and I hear this sound that put chills, literally Mm -hmm. chills, just to hear that sea of whispers, and they're all describing what's on the screen. I'll never forget that. Even though that was taking place there, because of hearing that and witnessing that, I um, collaborated with a sound designer to act with the idea of whispering. So if I'm talking in this mm. time right now, maybe the artist begins to repeat the same thing again, but does it in a whisper? And like what happens is the audio comes in and out. It dips in and out. And I tell you, it is so effective mm. um, that I... Wow. I had a show at um, Penn State Lehigh Valley campus a number of years ago before COVID. And I was able to have the sound along with the photographs. That's so cool. It was beyond cool. It, it, it just changes things. It, 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 the photographs can only do but so much. They can, give, they can bring emotion about. But now when you start hearing something, especially if it's a poem, mm. with layers like that, it really does pull at you. It creates, oh, God. it creates another layer to the imagery that you're looking at. And as I said, the idea actually came by literally um, witnessing this in front of um, these, uh, these young children. So One idea can lead to another. It does. It does. It's just a matter of... As long as, you're, as long as you are open to it, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. You got to be open to it. If you're, if, like I said earlier, it's funny that I, I used Myron's thing that he did for me was he taught me to see. And right. you just used that example of the kids in the theater. Like, to me, it was like I, my eyes were opened after working and studying with him. Yeah. I saw art differently. I saw the world differently. And yeah, it, but you, if you're open to those things, you will see them. You know, I did a, an, a podcast with another gentleman. His name's Tony Vengrove. And he had this great quote. He said, you know how the normal quote is, I'll believe it when I see it. He said he likes to say, "You'll see when you if you believe it, you'll see it." Uh, that's positive. That's positive. I love that. That's positive. I love that. So many people in business today are closed off. They want to see the numbers. They want to know the success is going to happen on a design before it even runs. And mm-hmm. it's just it just squashes all kind of innovation and creativity, and it's just sad. And it to me, I, I just love that. If you believe it, you will see it. And you know, I think you live that. I think you yeah. live that. Yeah. You, 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 you know, you're just and you use perseverance, which I I like as well. But my word for you would be positivity. You hey, radiate yeah. it. Well, just thank radiate you. it. Thank you. You know, um, I was looking at uh, some of the articles that you wrote online mm-hmm. there, and. Okay. Um, Man, you're a great writer. <laughs> oh, thank you. No, really. It's, it's clear. It's right to the point. And one of the things that jumped out is, I think, um, we talked about mentors. And mm-hmm. oftentimes, the mentor doesn't show up as readily as we'd like when you're younger, or even now for that mm-hmm. matter. Eventually, mm-hmm. somebody shows up. But maybe it's not the typical, hey, son, I'll show you how to do it. <laughs> but, yep. but there are people who say something or do something that I'll latch on to that, and that to me, is almost like having a mentor, maybe not in the traditional sense that I had hoped for, but it's a nugget. It's, 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 it's something that pulls me in a little bit more, and then from that, it begins to grow. So you were writing something along that line there, and I just thought, mm-hmm. what did you say? Creativity represents change, and if the change makes you comfortable, how do you expect it to make decisions that will move you business forward? You remember that? Yeah, I do. Mm-hmm. So a lot of great quotes, quotes coming from you for this. 
which we need yeah. to see. We need to read. We need to hear this. I experienced all that stuff. So it's just me writing from the experience, you know? Yeah. But Charles, I got to tell you, man, that this has been a blast. This hour went by really quick. Is and it I over already? Wow. It's over already. Yeah. We're, we're, <laughs> we're over an hour. So um, we, um, we're friends now. So uh, I hope you know that. We're, we, you have a new friend. <laughs> God bless you. <laughs> Thank you. I want to thank I want to thank you for doing this. Um, I your work is fantastic. I, I, we're going to show it here on the podcast uh, as we talk about it. Okay. Um, and I want and encourage people to go look at your stuff, look, seek you out, follow you, and um, because I think you're phenomenal. I think you're incredible, and we're lucky in the Leah Valley to have you here. Yeah. God bless you. That means a lot. It really does. I mean. You're the real deal, my friend. You're the real deal, and your work, your work is is it's, I, I it's magic. It's magical. Okay. That's 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 heartwarming. Thank you. All right, Ad Yakers. Hope you enjoyed it, because we have many more great conversations planned and guests lined up, ready to yak it up. Ad Yak is sponsored and produced by ASR Media. Theme song was written and performed by Dan Ross. Location recording was at JT Norman's Design Studio. Adyak is the official podcast of the AAF Greater Lehigh Valley Ad Club. Stay hungry, stay humble. Till next time. This episode of Adyak is rated O for, oh man, that was good.